we can be praying for Rob. Tonight, his New York Giants play the Buffalo Bills, and I just have a bad feeling for you, Rob. <laughs> but we shall see. Uh, hey, listen, just a few announcements before we begin. Today is our fall festival right after service. We're going to have great food. We're going to have some fun for the kids. There's talk of candy, which is always a hit. Uh, there's a petting zoo. We're going to have all sorts of uh, animals. I, I heard polar bears, cougars, tigers, all sorts of different things. And then also, uh, you can always go and pet Mike. He's always, he's a fun guy to hang around. And, and I heard that we, he's a cornhole champion. Is that what I hear? Sh show the bling. Do you have the ring? Look, look at the ring. So, so all I know is I think that Rob probably dropped a lot of quarters outside of Walmart getting that thing to come out right there. So uh, very fun. We've got that right after service. This week, uh, there's no meeting on Tuesday night or men's group on Thursday night because we have family night on Wednesday night. So please come out to family night. You can sign up in the atrium. We'll start at 6 o'clock. We'll have a wonderful meal. Then after our meal, we'll have something for the kids. We have something for the adults. We're done by 8 o'clock. So uh, mark your calendars. You can sign up in the atrium for that. Uh, next Sunday is our Millville feeding project, and Libby, is, we need baked goods, right? So if you would like to volunteer to make a baked good for the feeding program they do down in Millville for the homeless, you can see Libby, and I'm sure that she'd be thrilled with just any kind of baked good. And I actually was down there for the last scene in Millville. I made sure the baked goods were up to quality, because we don't want to feed people stuff that's not up to quality. And it, it is, and somebody's got to do it, and I'm the guy to do it. So listen, with that, kids, you are dismissed for Sunday school, so you can head out to Sunday school. We have our middle school and high school class as well today. And then I'm going to open us in a word of prayer. God is good, because I'll tell you what, yesterday I was driving um, on 95 coming from Maryland, we had a, Chase had a soccer game down in Maryland, and uh, up 95, it, it was beyond pouring rain. And I remember thinking, there's no way we're going to be able to do anything Sunday because it's just going to be so wet and everything. And then I woke up this morning, and we had had a lot of wind, and it kind of dried everything out, and the sun was shining, and I felt like God, as I was on my morning walk, he said, Eric, I'm in this. I'm doing things, so don't worry. So... Let me pray for us, and, and we will begin. Father, in the stillness, Lord, is the place where you dwell. Lord, we just sang a song that talked about how when we call, you answer. Lord, give us the strength to call, and give us the patience to listen. And so, Lord, as we open up your word today and as we begin this study in the book of Ephesians, Lord, God, a letter that was written thousands of years ago but is so applicable today, the Bible is time itself and yet it is timeless. And, Lord, it, it writes onto our hearts, Lord, your very words. It breathes on the smoldering ambers in our soul and ignites them to fire. It allows our eyes, which can visualize, but to truly see. It gives our ears the ability to truly hear. 
It enables us. It guides us. So, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. I have been reading through the book of Ephesians, uh, a lot of different commentaries and different pastors on what they think of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, uh, many people think, is the most Paulist book of the New Testament. They said that this is Paul's crowning book. Of everything he wrote, uh, they feel like Ephesians has this tremendous balance of theology and how to live. Um, just to give you a little bit of backdrop, uh, if Ephesus is located in modern-day Turkey. Uh, one of the things that they were dealing with there is one of the seven made, made, made seven wonders of the world made by man's hands. It's easy to say, isn't it? And that was the temple of uh, Artemis. And Artemis was a Greek, uh, was a Roman god. A goddess that they worshiped, and it was one of the marvels of the world. And so Paul is writing this letter to um, Jews who had converted to Christianity and to Gentiles, but in the shadows of this giant pagan worship society. So I want you to imagine that if right here we're Hope Community Church in Piles Grove, but just down the road over in Woodstown, can you imagine a temple that rose up so high that we could see it from here and everyone's driving by to go see and worship at this place. And while they're driving by, people are selling little trinkets and little uh, medallions that people could wear and worship of, of this Roman God. All this is going on and Paul is saying hey listen here's this little band of believers here and we got to encourage them uh, Paul wrote the books of Colossians and Ephesians right around the same time. They say between 60 and 62 AD. He was imprisoned in Rome. He was in home confinement. He was allowed to preach, but he, was, he wasn't allowed to go anywhere, but people could see him and he could communicate to the outside world. Um, just to give you a fitting of where it fits in with the rest of the Bible, Ephesians was written, like I said, between 60 and 62 AD, which was the same time that the book of Matthew and Luke were being written, but it was just after the book of Mark. So remember, we just finished the study of Mark. Paul would have, writ, would have read that book. He would have read that letter of the book of Mark. And so it's wonderful to see how Paul takes this. And remember, remember how Paul described himself, a theologian of theologians, a Pharisee of Pharisee. And what does Paul do? He takes the book of Mark and he goes, Okay, this is awesome. I'm going to give you a little bit of meat onto it. Because that's what guys like him do. If you know Paul's life, he made three missionary trips. Um, the first one ended in Ephesus. Ephesus. Uh, the second one uh, started there, and he lived there for about two and a half years. Which means that uh, this area of the world was very, very important to Paul. Uh, he knew people. He talked with people there. Um, as he's writing this, he's trying to combat that, you know, there's a synagogue on every corner and they're, they're promoting what they're promoting and they're trashing the name of Christ. And they're saying he was just a miracle worker or he was a false prophet and all these things. And he's got pagan worship going on there and Paul is just going at this. 
head on. The theme of Ephesians is quite simple. There's two themes that go on. The first three chapters is theology. He's going to give you a baseline of what our faith is all about. Theology is understanding the nature of God. How many of you have someone, like say you've got a mutual friend and somebody might say, oh, you know what, Paul, he's like this. And people would go, oh, no, you have to get to know him, right? Well, what Paul is doing is while he's writing this book, he's helping us to get to know the nature of God and how God works. In chapters 4 through 6, he's going to talk about how to live. He's a very, very good teacher. If Paul was standing here today, maybe his opening statement would be this. What we do is, is driven by what we know. What we do is driven by what we know. So open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 1. Our three for the road, number one is this. Are you living as beloved or striving to be loved? Are you living as beloved or striving to be loved? Let's look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And remember, guys, he's going to preach theology, and then he's going to always sow it in the background. So right off the beat, what do we see? An apostle of Jesus Christ. Remember that... Uh, Early religious leaders in Judaism, they would always associate themselves with another teacher. I remember when they got in this argument, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. No, 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 I'm of Christ. That's what he says. The apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, which identifies Jesus Christ as the Son of God. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you in verse 1 where it says to the saints who are in Ephesus, it has a little asterisk next to Ephesus. Does anyone's Bible have that? Okay, why that's there is the early manuscripts said that Paul left that blank. And he left it blank because this letter was to be a circulatory letter. In other words, it was supposed to rotate. It was supposed to go around a region. If Paul wrote a letter and said, this is a letter to Hope Community Church in Piles Grove, New Jersey, if I drove down the road and handed it to some other pastor, he would go, well, this is not to us. This is to Hope Community Church. So a lot of people believe that Paul did not say specifically to the people of Ephesus because he wanted it to circulate. And look how wonderful it's in our hands today. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 3. How many of you, when you read the Bible, feel like when you read the Bible, now listen, we created verses and chapters and that. But how many of you sometimes look at the Bible and think, I kind of think this is a little poorly written. Does anyone ever have those thoughts? Okay, just your pastor. Good. All right. Here's the deal. Especially when you're reading from Paul. Paul wrote everything in Greek. And Greek does not necessarily translate effortlessly to English. A matter of fact, I remember one, one man telling me, he said, you know what the problem is with English? He goes, it's like it's a baboon language or something. And I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, you know, you look at your wife and you say, you love your wife. And I said, okay. He goes, somebody brings out pizza and you say, I love pizza. He said, do you love your wife and pizza? And I said, and I love my kids. He goes, you love your kids. Do you love your dog? Oh, I love my dog. You love them all the same. 
That's what you have. He goes, there's no depth to it, right? Well, in Greek, it's a much different way of communicating. And so I'm sure uh, when Sherry listens to this sermon, she's going to laugh because uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through verse 14 is one sentence in the Greek. So you can understand why you see a lot of commas, commas and all these different things to try and fit this in because Paul would be here standing going, I have a solution. Everyone learn Greek. We won't be doing that today. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, again theology in there, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So what, what he identifies right away, guys, every single religion in the world believes in Jesus Christ. I'll say it again, every single religion in the world believes in Jesus Christ. And that's why when you talk to someone who's a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Jehovah Witness or any of these different things and you say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, every one of them will say, we do too. But look what Paul says, blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Paul says, can you dig it? That's what he says. And this is what separates us from all these other religions. So when everybody ever says, oh, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ too. I say, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Because then you know that Jesus Christ is our only way to God the Father. Uh, well, I... And you'll watch the conversation go from there. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Guys, there's a lot there, because here's this one word that floats up a lot in theological arguments. Predestination. Right? And I'm going to tell you something. I love when these pastors who, listen, I'm not bashing anyone, but there's a really easy thing to do with this passage if you're a pastor. Don't preach on it. Preach topical. And so you can go, hey, verse 1, da, 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 da. all right, let's skip to chapter 2. And you can skip all these things. And if Paul was here, he'd be in the background going, boo. I don't know how to say that in Greek, but it probably sounds something like that. Right? Well, here's what Paul says. He says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that the Lord knows every single person who will come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Because if he didn't, would he be God? If there were some things that were mysteries to God, we would have a problem. In other words, this whole thing going on in Israel and all these, this fighting, if we prayed and we said, God, please guide us, and God went, guys, i got to be honest, this is a little out of my hands. That would be terrifying, right? I believe that God knows who will choose him. So then right away you go, all right, well, Eric, what about free will? Well, I think he knows who's going to choose him. He knows who 
will choose to accept them as their Lord and Savior. If you look in John chapter 6, Jesus talks about being the bread of life. Do you remember what happened in John 6? It said, many heard him and could not take this teaching and fouled him no longer. They rejected the Lord's anointed one. They rejected the peace offering from God, which is Jesus Christ. So, what do I believe? I believe that we have free will, but I think God knows who's going to choose them. So then you go, all right, well then wait a minute, Eric. Why do we bother evangelizing? Why do we bother doing mission trips? Why do we bother giving money if God already knows who's going to choose them and who's not going to choose them? Because for whatever reason, God has chosen to involve us in his matters. What did Jesus say to the disciples when he saw them fishing on the Sea of Galilee? Come what? Follow me and what? I'll make your fishers of men. He chooses to use us. So I don't know who's going to choose him or reject him. But all I want Jesus to know is I'm on your team. I'm in. I'm on board with what you're doing. Now, what's the uncomfortable truth? Many will reject him, die apart from God, and go to hell. And that's an awful thing to say, but it's awfully true. It's absolutely true. And I think we're going to get to heaven, and I think two things are going to happen. I think we're going to have two kind of reactions. We're going to go, hey, wow, so-and-so made the cut. Kind of shocking. Hey, has anyone seen so-and-so? Anyone? It's not here. Because many will call and say, I did this and this, but they never knew him. They never knew him. When we're at games and there's big crowds, and our son is running around on that field, and he looks up, he looks all around, he looks very blank, and he goes, like that. Why? Because we know him and he knows us. Do you know him today? Let's keep going. To the praise and the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We're accepted by God because of Christ. Now, I want to go back to this word adoption, because it's a really important word in that culture. Do you know that in the Roman culture, when someone was adopted, uh, once complete, that child would have all the rights of their new family. Do you know that when a child was adopted, when a family has debt, the entire family is in debt. So in other words, if I have some debt because I did something stupid, it wouldn't matter. Pam and all three of my sons would be included on in it. But when someone is adopted, all of their prior debts, all of their prior obligations of that child are removed and they're forgiven and he starts again. And ironically, the Romans would call it, uh, it's like a rebirth for that person. And what do we call it? Born again. Adopted. Born again. 
And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, hey, listen, you've been adopted. All your sin, all your shame, all of that has been removed because guess what? You're in a new family. That's gone. This is new. Let's make this hit home. Are you living beloved or striving to be loved? You know, I think something that's been going on since the start of time is we are desperate for love, acceptance, and approval. Um, we're kidding ourselves when we say that hatred, rejection, or disapproval doesn't bother us. How many of you have ever said this lie? Like something very hurtful happens, you go, I don't care, whatever. That doesn't bother me. It sounds like it doesn't bother you. It sure sounds like it does. Our society struggles immensely with depression and anxiety, and I often wonder if these are byproducts of striving to be loved, but because the pe whatever we're looking to love us can't love us the way God has, has designed us for, and so we're let down. But I want you to know that beloved means dearly loved. In the Hebrew or the Greek, it's referred to as both a masculine and a feminine word. There's not, you're just beloved. Everyone is beloved. You are chosen, you are set aside, you are cherished, you are selected, you are beloved. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't times where God looks down and he goes, Libby, you're driving me crazy, but he loves you. Why? Because you're beloved. Why are you beloved? Because you know Christ, and through Christ, you are approved. You've been adopted. Several years ago, I remember walking into the house, and, and I walked in the kitchen, and you know when there's tension in the house, like, I walk in, and I see all three boys are in the living room, I go, hey, guys, and they're like, like, no words, they just kind of give, like, a howl. <laughs> all right. I walk into the kitchen, and Pam's busy at the sink or something, I go, hey, hon, how are you? And she looks up at me, and her glasses were like this, she looks over her glasses, and she goes, your sons, now listen, whenever... Guys, how many of you know it's really bad when it's referred to as they're not, she's no longer, she's disassociated herself with the children, right? So, so Mike, you know it's bad if you come in and Michelle goes, your children, it's bad. So she goes, your sons. And she just rattles up this, 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 this. And she goes, and then dinner time comes and I'm like a short order cook. Make this, make that. And she goes, you know what, tonight, I'm not cooking anything. They want something out of the fridge. They can cook it. They can make their own dinner. They're fine. And I'm like, bob and weave, bob and weave. I'm just, and I go, you're right, hon. You're absolutely right. You know, we'll take care of dinner. You don't have to worry about it. That's it. I got to go run some errands. I don't want to be bugged. I don't want to talk to anyone. I'll be back later. Totally fine. I decide I'll walk her out to her car just to try and make sure that nothing combusts or the house doesn't start on fire. She walks, she gets to the edge of the living room, she turns around, she goes, guys, I'm going to go run some errands, uh, then I'll stop at Wawa. If you want anything, please text me. And she walks out, and I get out to the van, I go, wait, what, what just happened here? And she turns and she goes, oh, I love them. <laughs> I said, well, can I get something from Wawa? <laughs> you go find something in the fridge. Now nah, she'll bring me back Wawa. Why? Because we're dearly loved. And that's how we treat our children. That's how we treat people we love. We will do anything for them. We'll sacrifice our time, our money, our health, our happiness to help them achieve, move forward, 
and lead a fulfilling life. Right? Because they're beloved. And guys, this is the way we love each other and we're sinful, broken people. How does God love us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn us, but through him the world might be saved. The world might be saved. The world might be saved. You are beloved. You are beloved. And you are chasing after love of this world. And even if you get it, it will leave you flat. Because it's not enough. It's not enough. Three for the road number two. The Holy Spirit teaches us, guides us, and is a down payment for what is to come. The Holy Spirit teaches us, guides us, and is a down payment for what is to come. Let's look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That is a great sentence. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed, I'm sorry, in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. Guys, do you understand that we will either die and be with the Lord or the Lord will come back for us? Either way, it's a really cool ending. It's a really cool ending. And one of the things I think we need to make sure that we keep in the back of our minds is I think God's going, hey, listen, Eric, you know what? I'm going to teach you stuff, and I give you my Holy Spirit to guide you and enable you in life. But let me tell you something. There is a wow at the end of this thing. Unlike anything you have ever seen. Look at this verse from Colossians chapter 1. Paul's writing, he says, and you can tell that he wrote these books very close to each other. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will make known what are the riches of his glory, of all the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Guys, the hope of glory. When my kids were young, I remember that we watched the, the Disney movie The Miracle, which talks about the 1980s Olympic men's hockey team that won the gold medal. Well, the kids didn't know how it went, but I lived it. I saw it. I remember I was a little kid playing hockey with my friends, and I'm, I was Mike Rizzioni, and I scored that goal, right? And the boys are watching, and they're sitting on the edge of the season. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Time's running out. They got to score. They got to score. And I'm sitting back on the couch like this going, guys, Mike Rizzioni, we're going to score. We're going to beat the Russians. Then we're going to beat the Finns. It's all right. It's going to work out. And God's looking at us, he's going, listen, I know in the moment it's tough, but you got to just lift your eyes up because I'm telling you there's hope of glory. 
And Paul is living as the mystery is unfolding. He would know the scriptures better than any of us all combined. And Paul is realizing that he was born at the very moment that God says, God, Paul, I'm going to use you for my purpose. You're going to convey this message because the mystery is going to become clear. The blur is clearing. My son has come. The hope is here. Go tell him. And Paul's going, I live in this moment. God chose you to live right in this moment. He could have you live 100 years from now, backwards or forwards, whatever he'd want to do, but he wants you here, right here, right now to do something. Let's keep going here. So verse uh, 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to his purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is working, Romans 8, 28, and we know uh, that in all things uh, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose. And sometimes we don't see the good, we don't recognize the good, but God has a purpose. God doesn't just do things to have, like, well, I don't know, I guess we'll do this. No, he knows what he's doing. There's a design to everything he's doing. Let's keep going. That we who first trusted in Christ, who are the people who first trusted in Christ? He talks about the Jews first. He says that we, meaning himself, first trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. In him you, meaning the Gentile, also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is essential. There's a lot of different faiths out there that do not believe in the Holy Spirit. But those same people tell me they believe in Jesus Christ. And I say, well, listen, then you either believe in the Holy Spirit or Jesus is a liar. So which is it? Because Jesus said it's best for me to leave. Why? Because I will send one, the great counselor, wonderful counselor, my spirit, to live with you. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, guys, let's make this hit home. The Holy Spirit teaches us, guides us, and is a down payment for what is to come. What's a down payment? A down payment is, I'm committed to buying this. Len and Lisa work in, in real estate. Somebody commits to a house. They give a down payment. Then they work out all the financing. Hopefully it works. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand Scripture. It gives us knowledge that is beyond ourselves. Look at what Solomon says in Proverbs 2, 6, and 7. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. I shared with you before that it's literally like 70% of the Nobel Prize winners who have led in their fields in superior study. It's like 70% of them are followers of Jesus Christ. Where do they get this wisdom? Where do they get this knowledge? It comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. How many of you, when you became a Christian, this book used to be a mystery to you, but when you became a Christian, all of a sudden you started understanding it. And you started going, whoa. I remember thinking, I, I was reading my Bible as a teenager, I remember thinking, this thing sat on my shelf for years, and I did nothing with it. And now... It just flowed with wisdom. Let's look at this verse from Romans 11. 
says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has uh, first given to him that he shall be repaid to him? This is from Romans 11, and, and Paul is quoting from Isaiah 40. The Holy Spirit teaches us, it helps us to understand God, the nature of God. I have friends that have no understanding of God at all, and they're very smart men. They're very gifted men. Some of them are very successful and very wealthy, but they are absolutely ignorant to God. And I pray for them. Not only does the Holy Spirit uh, give us knowledge, it guides us. It enables us to live for Christ. How many of you have ever been through some kind of a hardship in life where you can't really figure out how you got through it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. While the rest of the world, the rest of the world, they'll get through it too. With alcohol, medications, drug abuse, sexual addictions. That's how they'll solve it. But somehow or another, I look at things that Pam and I have gone through and I'll go, I, don't, I have no idea how we did this. The Holy Spirit helps us make the rubber hit the road. Look at 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. The divine power has given us all things that pertain to life. The Holy Spirit enables us to live life. Look at this from 1 John 2. He who, he, who says he, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he has walked. Now a lot of us go, oh no, wait a minute. I can't walk as Jesus walked. I can't carry my cross like Jesus says. Guess what? You can't. But what is the Spirit? It enables you. It enables you to do it. Remember when Moses said to the Lord, I can't, I can't go before Pharaoh. I can't do any of these things. God says, I'll give him your words. I can't lead these people. You do, I'm not asking you to lead them. I'll lead them. You just follow me. The Holy Spirit is a down payment for heaven. Romans 8.18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Reading God's word, prayer, fellowship, these are ways that we can blow breath on the ambers of the spirit that lives in us. All those ambers heat up and they burn and our lives are enriched and we're filled with vision and what God is doing in us and through us. So not only does the Holy Spirit give us knowledge, the Holy Spirit enables us to live, but the Holy Spirit is a down payment for heaven. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It's from uh, 1 Corinthians. It's also quoting from Isaiah. You ever remember when you first saw something amazing? I remember when I was a little boy, my dad told me, we're going to go to see Niagara Falls. I remember saying, I've seen falls before. There's a couple behind our house back in the woods. And I remember we got out of the car and we're walking, and I remember my dad's walking with me, and I said, so we're, we're not in the woods. Where's the falls? He goes, it's up ahead. And I remember as we were walking, I remember saying, why is it so loud? What is that noise? 
And he looked at me and he said, Eric, that's the falls. And the first time I saw Niagara Falls, I remember just thinking, feeling overwhelmed by the power and the majesty of it. And what does Paul say in Corinthians? I has not seen, nor ear heard, or have entered the heart of man. Guys, you don't even have the ability to imagine what heaven is going to be like. I've not been to heaven yet. But you know what? I think heaven is a place where there's no sin. Heaven is a place where there's no death. Heaven is a place where there's no sickness, there's no starvation, there's no war. Heaven is a place where we will fully know God. In 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter, if you go on just beyond the love gooey, gooey stuff, it says this, for we know in part and prophesize in part, but when, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put childish things away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we see in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Guys, heaven is going to be ridiculous. I cannot wait. Revelation 21, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat at the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words, for they are true and faithful. We are often consumed, even filled with shame, with the concept that God fully knows us. And that makes us feel uncomfortable. But I really believe that God would like us to focus on allowing the Holy Spirit to let us know him more and look forward to heaven when he will be fully known us. In other words, stop getting hung up that God knows all of your faults. Start pursuing all of his grandeur and see what changes. Remember this old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Any Helen Hallworth Lemel fans out there? She writes a hymn. No one even knows who they are. By the way, ladies, if you want to live a long life, write hymns. Because this woman lived almost 100 years. Let's sing this together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Wow. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I kind of felt like an old school pastor. Remember like, like when you watch Little House on the Prayer and the pastor leads the singing and he worships? I just had my Reverend Alden moment. <laughs> Let's finish this up, three for the road, number three. Growth in your walk with God is the most powerful tool for changing anything and everything in your life. Growth in your walk with the Lord is the most powerful tool changing anything and everything in your life. Let's look at verse 16. 
I'm sorry, verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, what's your reputation? What do people hear about you? I hope your reputation is people go, listen, that guy loves the Lord. That girl is passionate about the Lord. That church is the real deal. Verse 16, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. I was reading one pastor preaching on this passage. He goes, pastors, when you hear that verse, you should be praying for your congregation. And I want you to know that this morning as I was roaming around in pitch black with my sidekick tank, I prayed. I don't know if he prays. He just sniffs around. But I pray for you guys by name, many of you by name. I pray for your marriages. I pray for your kids. I pray for this building. I pray for this place. I pray for the fall festival. I pray for you. I'm trying to intervene with the Lord on your behalf. Please do the same for me. Verse 18. Uh, verse 7. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, that what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is exceedingly greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Guys, <laughs> we have a powerful God. Listen to this quote by Charles Spurgeon. I just love this. The very same power which raised Christ is waiting to raise the drunkard from his drunkenness, to raise the thief from his dishonesty, to raise the Pharisee from his self-righteousness, and to raise the Sadducee from his unbelief. That's the God we worship. That's the God we sing to. We're up here. It's not just, hey, well, let's listen to Rob play some guitar and Len and Lisa sing some songs and think about what's going on this afternoon. No. We serve a powerful God who intervenes and can change situations mightily. Verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now, guys, here's where Paul's going to really zip out some theology because this is good stuff. One, he talks about the resurrection. Two, he says, and he's sitting at the right hand. And in every religion, the right hand is the place of honor. Everyone knows that. And in the Roman Empire, the right hand is the place of honor. And Paul says, you know the highest place of honor? It's where Jesus is sitting. He keeps going. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now remember, guys, he's in the shadows. This letter is being read in the shadows of one of the biggest pagan temples in the world. That was so impressive that we named it one of the greatest things man's ever made. But what is Paul saying in Acts 17? 
Paul's had this debate before, this time with the Greeks. In Acts 17, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through considering these objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And what does Paul do? He starts right there and says, The God in which you are looking to worship, I proclaim to you, and he is above all of these gods, which means they are nothing. And as these young believers are struggling with the attacks of Judaism, as these young believers are in the shadows of mystical and pagan and stones and worship and gold figurines and all these things, Paul says, he is above, he is beyond, he has dominion. And what does he say in Colossians? He says that in all things he may have what? Preeminence over all of it. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's make this hit home. Growth in your walk with God is the most powerful tool for changing anything and everything in your life. God is in the life-transforming business. When I was a young believer, I remember reading the scriptures. I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then I went into Acts. My youth group leader told me, he said, yeah, Acts is a good book. It, it kind of starts off right, right at the death and resurrection and the ascension of Christ. And in what the young disciples were doing after he left, I thought, hey, this is a good place for me. I'll start reading that. I started reading, I remember calling up my youth group leader, I said, Greg, who is this guy Peter in the book of Acts? He said, well, it's Peter. I said, no, 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 no. I understand Peter from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but who is this Peter? Because he's really a different dude. I said, are you sure one's not like Pete and one's Peter? He goes, no, Eric, it's the same Peter. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound like the same guy. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. God's in the life-transforming business. There are so many things in my life and around my life that I would like to see change. Does anyone feel like that? Things in your life and outside your life? And the older I'm getting, the realize I have very little influence to change any of those things. But I can nurture my walk with the Lord. I can nurture my walk with the Lord and let him transform me. Because I'm going to tell you something about this world. The world, they may not call it sin, but the world sees sin. It sees pain. It sees despair. The difference is, is believers, we see those same things, but we also see providence. We see forgiveness. We see love. We see joy. We see contentment. And the world doesn't see those things. So the older I get, the more I'm convinced I have little to offer outside of Christ. See, when I was a young believer, I used to feel like, hey, I bring a lot to the table, and I can tell you about Jesus. The older I get, I really don't bring anything to the table. Actually, I'm kind of hungry. That's what I bring to the table. But you know what I can give you? The only thing I got is Christ. In his wisdom, there's value. In his revelation can help this world. In his knowledge that has been given to me, I need to leave behind to the next generation. You see me quote all sorts of different people, Spurgeon, and 
quote Alistair Begg from time to time. Well, that's, you know, Spurgeon's long gone. Alistair Begg's still here. There's different pastors that I follow. But there's guys who are long gone, but their words carry on. I want to make sure that my words carry on, and I'm on, the only way they're going to carry on is if they matter. And this is the only thing that matters. We're just conduits, allowing God to pour His wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. I want to close with this verse from uh, Philippians 1. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, by, for you, all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very first this thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Guys, I've always told people, what is your spiritual pulse right now? Are you chasing love or are you beloved? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to teach you, guide you? And because the Holy Spirit teaches you and guides you, you have tremendous confidence in heaven. See, a lot of people lack in confidence that there's an afterlife. And it's because they're not being taught and they don't have the Holy Spirit. Stop asking God to change the world around you. Instead, ask God to, to transform you. It's the best way to change the world. This is my story. This is my song. Some of the most powerful people I've ever met in my life are very poor communicators. Some of the most powerful people I've met in my life are not the most physically appealing people I've ever met in my life. But they have been transformed. And it just oozes out of them. When I was young, one of my friends, I met a bunch of guys on, on a Young Life retreat. And these guys were, I thought, like the coolest Christians in the world. And I told you this story before. They all were led to Christ by one guy. I said, who is this guy? I said, oh, our leader, he, he went to be with the Lord. He's gone. I said, tell me about him. The guy was paralyzed from the neck down. And he did youth ministry. How many people will make excuses why they can't volunteer and do something? This guy's paralyzed in the neck down. He said, we used to go over to his house. A nurse would get him up in the morning, dress him, clean him up, load him in his wheelchair. We used to go down the driveway, load, take him out of his wheelchair, put him in the back of our car. We had to belt him in all weird in that so that he didn't fall over. We'd go to McDonald's, put him in his wheelchair, feed him breakfast, and then he would talk to us about God. He led like seven or eight guys to Christ in this high school. He said the one day we were, got him back to his house, his driveway was icy. He said we got him up the driveway. He said one of our guys dropped him and he slid down the driveway. He goes, the nurse is screaming at us and the whole way the guy was yelling and laughing. He gets to the bottom, he rolls over, we go over, we go, are you okay, are you okay? He goes, that was the funnest thing I've ever done in my life. And eventually he got some kind of respiratory illness and he just couldn't shake it and he died. And I just thought, holy cow. God, use us. But we can't be used if we're chasing the love of this world. You got to be secure in the belovedness of who you are. And you can't be used if you have nothing to give. And you got nothing to give if you don't have knowledge of this. And you have nothing to give if you don't have the spirit burning in you. 
and you have nothing to give if deep down inside you don't believe there's glory. So what is your spiritual pulse? Everything we do here is to help get your spiritual pulse going. On Chase's soccer team, they have this one kid. His name is Gian. Gian is about this tall. He's a short little guy. He doesn't play hardly at all. But I'm going to tell you something about Gian. He is adrenaline just oozing out of him. And so before they get ready to play, Gian disappears in the middle mass of these soccer players and he starts yelling. And you can hear him across the entire stadium. And he's yelling and he's pushing guys around. And here's the thing, when Chase was a freshman, he didn't know how to take it. He literally was like, like I don't know, because he's just shoving guys and drum, jumping all. And the whole energy of the team just And all of a sudden, they run out on the field and the other team's got to be like, holy cow. Because it looks like a scene from Braveheart. Like these guys, ah! and they're just screaming across this field. And I think, holy cow. And all I think is, you know what, Eric? I want to be a spiritual Gion. I want to get people who are walking around limping and going, oh, I don't know. And I want to go in and I want to just start rattling their cage. And I want to get what's inside of them to start coming out. Because that's when it gets a lot of fun in here. Let's stand up. The worship team's going to lead us in a song. And when we're done, we're going to set up for Fall Festival. And I see a lot of really strong, bulky guys here. And we're going to get all our tables and we're going to set them outside. Ken and, and Ed and some of the guys are going to do it. Look at Rich. He's like, hallelujah, I'm moving tables. He's ready to praise God and look at him. He's like, I'm loosening. I got these tables. I'm doing it. We're going to set up tables. We're going to have a great time outside. We've got a petting zoo. We've got stuff for the kids. We've got candy for me. We've got all sorts of things. We're going to rejoice. We're going to praise God and grow in fellowship. If you're new here and you don't know anyone, get to know someone. Because you know what? Somebody in this room might end up being a lifeline for you. That when it really hits the fan in your life, you're going to call them and be like, you know what? It's hitting the fan in my life. I've got several lifelines in this room that when things are really hitting, I'm going, oh my gosh, I got to call Vite. I got to call Lee. I got to call Ed. I got to call some guy. I got to call somebody. Lifelines are in this room. People who can help you in your walk with the Lord. Get into this thing. I always told my kids when they were young, live it, love it, want some more of it. Because it'll change your life. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we are beloved. So we don't have to chase the fleeting joys of this world, Lord, because we are beloved. We are sons and daughters of the King. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would give us knowledge as we read this word. Lord, that it would enable us as we live in this world, Lord, this crazy, messed up, dark, evil world, that we would shine like stars for you. And Lord, that that down payment that was paid on the cross, Lord, would give me joy and courage because heaven awaits. Lord, however this life ends, Tragic, sad, 
after many years, I don't know what my ending will be, but I know where the period stops here, where the next chapter opens there. And Lord, I pray we would nurture our walks with the Lord and we would see our own lives transformed because, Lord, as God's people transform, neighborhoods change, families change, marriages change, parenting changes. Everything changes, Lord, when you are in the center of it. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray, amen.